This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state health department reports more than 13,000 newly confirmed cases of COVID-19. That is the third highest daily total since the state began counting. The state also reported 104 new fatalities Thursday. That's the seventh day in a row where the daily death toll hit triple digits. And it's one more reason why the Graduate Students Union at Florida A&M is opposing the administration's plan to resume face-to-face instruction in January. As an African-American woman, the risk of contracting COVID-19 will have visceral lasting effects in my life and for my family. Today on Sunrise in Depth, we check out the agreement between the feds and the state that allows Florida's Department of Environmental Protection to bypass the feds when issuing permits to destroy or alter protected wetlands. Republicans in our congressional delegation absolutely love the idea. This decision today, it's, it's really a milestone. What we are witnessing today is a huge deal. This is a great day for Florida. This is huge. We all know that is critical to our way of life. It's critical to our economy. All Floridians should be very happy today. But Democrats are not happy. They say the Department of Environmental Protection does not have enough people to enforce existing laws, let alone take on new responsibilities. Environmentalists call this a gift to developers in the final days of the Trump administration. Florida sheriffs team up with Florida State University to create a new training program that teaches law enforcement officers how to deal with the day-to-day stress of being a cop. Rates of depression and trauma in law enforcement officers is five times higher than the general population. And what we are trying to do is deliver a research-backed training that fills a critical gap in law enforcement. The online program is called Resiliency Behind the Badge. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and the story of a Florida man charged with possessing child pornography. He is a Baptist pastor. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, December 18th. It was on this date in 1903 that the Panama Canal Zone was acquired by the U.S. in exchange for 10 million bucks and annual rent. How did we get the sweetheart deal? Well, the area now known as Panama was part of Colombia back then. And when the Colombian Senate refused to ratify the treaty with the U.S., we bankrolled a revolution, recognized Panama as an independent nation, and cut a deal with them for the canal. The underhanded actions of the U.S. led to what has been called the Rape of Panama. On a happier note, this is also Answer the Telephone Like Buddy the Elf Day. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Put that down. Hello? Hello? The state health department reported 13,148 newly confirmed cases of COVID-19 Thursday. That is the third highest daily total since the pandemic began, and it hasn't been this bad since our peak in July. The total number of cases in Florida is now 1,168,000. As COVID surges through the state, graduate students at Florida A&M University in Tallahassee are appealing to fellow students, alumni, and faculty members to oppose the president's plan to reopen for face-to-face instruction in the new semester. Graduate assistant Andrea Jenkins says Leon County is already a COVID hotspot, and the university sits right next to two of the neighborhoods that have the most cases. Despite the rise of COVID-19 cases on campus, family's president, Dr. Larry Robinson released a 2021 spring semester statement stating that in-person face-to-face instruction will begin Tuesday, January 19, 2021 for the spring semester. This is unacceptable. So we're here today to call on students, to call on alumni, faculty, and community members 
to call and hold accountable President Larry Robinson and demand that family return to fully remote learning the entire spring semester and implement stronger safety protocols in laboratories. My name is Andrea Jenkins, and I'm just trying to survive. Crystal Williams is a Ph.D. candidate and grad assistant at FAMU. She says the reopening order is a threat to her and her entire family. As an African-American woman, the risk of contracting COVID-19 will have visceral, lasting effects in my life and for my family. I'm frightened by the psychological ramifications of being responsible for bringing COVID home to my family. As a mother, I don't know how COVID will affect my children, their risk of developing multi-system inflammatory syndromes, other complications unknown from the virus. As a wife, it's unimaginable to knowingly jeopardize my husband's health and his life. As a daughter with high-risk parents, the thought of losing them to COVID is sickening, it's sickening. My family becomes defenseless against this highly contagious disease. If myself, the matriarch of my family, is required to interact daily with hundreds of students, hundreds of students that are expected to enroll and attend the spring semester for in-person learning. In such an environment, there are zero, zero guarantees that I can protect my family from the wrath of COVID-19. The grad students held their press conference at about the same time the state reported 104 additional fatalities from COVID-19, increasing our death toll to 20,490. Next up on Sunrise In-Depth, the feds agree to let Florida take responsibility for issuing permits in protected wetlands, a job that used to be handled by the Army Corps of Engineers. But first, a word from our sponsors. You are listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. If you live along the I-4 corridor, learn to use your business experience to impact public policy. Apply by January 8th to the Central Florida Political Leadership Institute at cflpli.org. The Orlando Economic Partnership offers this free, nonpartisan program for business-minded leaders to explore whether elected or appointed office is right for them, discover political strategies to succeed and lead, and join a network of influencers. Apply by January 8th at cflpli.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. In the final days of the Trump administration, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has agreed to turn over federal permitting authority for construction in protected wetlands to the state. EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler made the announcement in Washington. This is a great day for Florida, for EPA, and for this country. Following a rigorous and timely review process, EPA has approved Florida's request for assumption of the Clean Water Act Section 404 program. This action allows Florida to effectively evaluate and issue permits under the Clean Water Act to support the health of Florida's waters, residents, and economy. Receiving permission to administer this program is a high bar for states to meet. But what we have done today is provide a roadmap for other states to follow. And we've already received interest from other states who want to assume the program. 
Only two states prior to today, Michigan and New Jersey, currently have this authority. And those are granted back in 1984 and 1994. And it's high time that we grant more. When Congress created this program, they intended for states to assume the authority. But over the years, the federal government has thrown so many hurdles in front of the states that no one has even tried to request the program. What we have accomplished here today by working with four other agencies at the federal level, three state agencies and eight tribal governments is provide the roadmap or framework that can be duplicated by other states. By taking over this permit program, Florida will be able to integrate its dredging and fill permitting with their traditional water quality and monitoring programs. Florida has a wealth of aquatic resources and they care about their resources at least as much, and I would say probably more so than the federal government. There's no reason why they shouldn't be running their own program. Earlier in the year, EPA was able to move the last of the state of Florida's air quality non-attainment areas into attainment for EPA's SOX standards. This means that the entire state of Florida, all 21 million Floridians, now meet all six federal air quality standards making it the most populous state in the country to achieve this status. I expect Florida to continue the same strides in water quality as it takes more responsibility for its water regulations. Again, this is a great day for the state of Florida. It shows just over the last year what the state has been able to achieve and continue to achieve both on water quality and air quality. And they truly are an example to the rest of the country. Noah Valenstein at Florida's Department of Environmental Protection says the transfer of authority from the EPA to the DEP should speed up the permitting process, and he insists it will not harm the environment. The motivation came from a group of talented environmental scientists and permitters at our agency who live among the resources at uh, Florida, who care passionately about it, who have dedicated their life to protecting those resources, and who understandably want to be in the driver's seat to protect them. And in so many other Clean Water Act um, programs like four or two others, they're set up for delegation to the state for just that reason, to allow passionate environmental advocates within the state to run those programs for the protection of resources there. Um, our environment is our economy. It's our way of life. It's why you move to Florida. If you go outside right now into the freezing temperature, I think it's a great advertisement for the state of Florida and our beaches and our resources. But it's why we want to be in the driver's seat. Everglades restoration, the world's largest wetland restoration, happens right here in Florida. Um, it's a World Heritage Site. It's a beacon of pride for our state of Florida, and it's an amazing undertaking that we have gone in. And I think it demonstrates our commitment. I think it also demonstrates just how important our environment is um, to all Floridians. You see the entire state of Florida represented in our congressional delegation and just as passionate about Everglades restoration. And to me, that's such a great example of why we as a state want to always be in the driver's seat when our resources are on the line. You don't have a member of our congressional delegation that says, oh, and eh, Everglades restoration, that's somewhere down in South Florida, it doesn't matter to me. No, they are passionate about that resource. Um, we have so many other wetlands in Florida, North Florida, again, 
you have the perch wetlands that feed into the most amazing series of freshwater springs around the world that, again, are also an icon and an attraction of Florida. You simply have wetlands feeding into the dune lakes of our uh, great panhandle, which are second to none. I mean, some of the most amazing resources we can see. And again, those rivers flowing into seagrass beds of Tampa Bay and Sarasota um, and down into Fort Myers are just a world attraction and something we cherish so much. And so again, that is our impetus for wanting to be in the driver's seat. We have to operate this program just as stringently as our federal partners would. And we honestly want it to get better as we go. And that means that we'll constantly have communications to all our stakeholders and federal partners holding us accountable, but also, and I'll end with this, we think one of the most important things about having states lead the way is that we are right there with the resource. We will identify problems and we will immediately, if we see something happening to our resource, be able to say, we need to change the Clean Water Act to actually protect this resource better. We need additional resources. We need to work with our federal partners in a new way. And we know we have that partnership because y'all have demonstrated it today. The agreement was signed in front of a bevy of state and federal officials, including several members of Florida's congressional delegation who absolutely loved the deal. Pop quiz coming up. See if you can name the lawmakers who said the following. This decision today will help streamline the permitting process for Florida businesses and private landowners. It's, it's really a milestone. Folks, what we are witnessing today is a huge deal. This is a huge milestone. Let's not minimize how important this is. This is a great day for Florida and everyone who cares about protecting the environment and protecting our clean water. This is huge. And I cannot thank you all enough because this is going to save time, it's going to save money, and it's going to save our environment. We can protect our environment because in Florida, that's not just a feel-good thing. We all know that is critical to our way of life. It's critical to our economy. All Floridians should be very happy today and the water quality that we're going to have for uh, generations to come. The correct answers were in this order. Gus Bilarakis, Mario Diaz-Balart, Dan Webster, John Rutherford, Michael Waltz, and Greg Stubbe. They're all Republicans, they like the deal, but Democrats have their doubts. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Fried says Florida's seizure of the permitting process sets a dangerous precedent that may lead to reduced protection of wetlands and other surface waters. Fried says the federal permitting process is more stringent than the states in reducing impacts from development, and taking that authority away from the Army Corps of Engineers is a mistake. An attorney for the environmental group called Earth Justice calls this a parting gift to developers from the outgoing administration in Washington and the DeSantis administration in Florida. They also point out this deal was championed by former governor, now U.S. Senator Rick Scott, who had the sorriest environmental record of any governor I've covered over the past 40 years. He really was the blue-green algae of governors. Florida State University teams up with the Florida Sheriff's Association to fight post-traumatic stress among law enforcement officers. Carrie Pettis Davis is founder and executive director of FSU's Institute for Justice Research and Development. They've come up with a training tool called Resiliency Behind the Badge, how to understand and manage the impact of exposure to violence and suffering while on duty. This initiative is called the Resiliency Behind the Badge, which is a program that helps us to identify post-traumatic stress in law enforcement officers, as well as respond to that stress across our state. As some of you may know, rates of depression and trauma in law enforcement officers is five times higher than the general population. And what we are trying to do is deliver a research-backed training that fills a critical gap in law enforcement 
Currently, many law enforcement departments will focus a lot on maintaining officers' physical health and um, not necessarily give as much attention to how important it is to address the mental health as officers um, of, of law enforcement officers as well, um, including the effects of exposure to extremely stressful traumatic events. Officers are frequently exposed to violence and suffering while on duty and experiencing these types of extremely stressful events not only causes emotional stress, but it can impact the brain and the body, resulting in what many refer to as post-traumatic stress. Um, however, officers oftentimes don't recognize the impact of this stress or have the tools to handle and respond to frequently uh, witnessing stressful events and violence. So we're really excited about this partnership and being able to, through this training, walk officer, officers through ways to manage extreme stress, both um, in the office, in the community, and at home. And we know that when we have uh, healthy officers, we have healthier communities, and we have officers that are better equipped to safely serve our communities throughout Florida. Matt Dunnigan with the Florida Sheriff's Association says this online training will make a big difference for law enforcement officers across the state. The Florida Sheriff's Association is so pleased to be able to partner with Florida State University's Institute for Justice Research and Development. Uh, your entire team has done an amazing job putting this training together. Uh, and it's something now that the Sheriff's Association uh, looks forward to getting out to all of our members. Uh, you know, we have close to 34,000 sworn personnel. We count all the sheriff's offices and all the sworn personnel that is a, in our jails. And to be able to provide them this training pre and online is critically important and is something that I know uh, the sheriffs are eager to get out there. It's a much needed training. Uh, they'll be able to uh, take this training, uh, learn from it and, and, and highlight some of the, the much needed aspects uh, both in their own lives, but also being able to identify areas uh, where there is some need. Uh, even the new sheriffs, we had a sheriff's academy here at the association last week, 14 new sheriffs getting elected. Uh, this very topic, uh, building the resiliency behind the badge was something that, that was discussed with these new sheriffs coming in. This uh, online training uh, is going to be critically important. Florida House Speaker Chris Sprouls is the son of a cop and has seen firsthand how stress affects the lives of law enforcement officers. These are people who look after us every day. And what the, the work that Florida State and the sheriffs are doing is allowing us to, to look after them for a change. I've often read, you know, anytime you read about an officer, a lot of times being injured or, or God forbid, killed in the line of duty, a lot of times those articles read the same way, you know, on a routine traffic stop. You know, at some point, traffic stops don't become routine anymore. And I remember I spent the better part of a decade as a prosecutor. I remember speaking to a particular sheriff's deputy one day and I was watching his dash cam uh, in a case. And he walked up to the car and he he placed his thumb on the back of the car on the bumper prior to going to talk to the person. And I asked him, I said, why, why did you do that? What, what were you doing with your thumb on the car? And he said, well, if something happened to me, I wanted it to be easily identifiable that this was the car that I, that I had stopped. So I put my thumbprint on the back. Now imagine doing that three or five or 10 or 15 times a day where you're thinking about your own mortality and thinking about this could be the minute that something bad happens to me. That is what our law enforcement officers go through every single day that they are out there, whether it's a traffic stop or whether it's responding to a, a shots fired call, they could be equally dangerous situations for our police officers. 
A citizen from the United Kingdom has been sentenced to two and a half years in federal prison for attempting to export power-generating equipment to Iran, which is a violation of the U.S. embargo. 45-year-old Colin Fisher was arrested by federal agents at the Pensacola Airport earlier this year when he arrived from the United Arab Emirates to complete the illegal transaction and obtain equipment for a buyer in Iran. The U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Florida says he was trying to smuggle a turbine core worth half a million dollars to an Iranian energy company, where it would be used to provide power in the oil fields. Once he does his time, Fisher will be deported. Your calendar of events begins with the Revenue Estimating Conference meeting at 9 in Tallahassee. The Sarasota County Legislative Delegation meets at 9 in Sarasota. Senator Ed Hooper and Representative Amber Mariano take part in a holiday food giveaway at 9 in Port Ritchie. The St. John's County Legislative Delegation meets at 9.30 in St. Augustine. Trustees at Valencia College meet online at 9.30. The Department of Economic Opportunity releases November's unemployment numbers at 10. The Flagler County Legislative Delegation meets at 2 in Bunnell. The Florida Health Insurance Advisory Board meets by conference call, but they'll be discussing their annual State of the Market report at 2. And the First Responders Suicide Deterrence Task Force meets online at 2. Finally today, a Florida man who works as a pastor is accused of possessing child pornography. 62-year-old William Dalton Milan is pastor of the Olivet Baptist Church in Milton, and he was arrested earlier this week on two counts of promoting sexual performance of a child and 25 counts of possessing child pornography. His troubles began when state agents got a tip from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children regarding the uploading of child pornography at an IP address that was traced to the pastor's home. According to the arrest report, some of the children depicted in those videos and pictures in the sex acts were as young as three. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.